Hi, my name is Paul Atherley. I'm the chairman of Pensana PLC. We're listed on the standard list of the London Stock Exchange. We're developing what we think is the world's most exciting new rare earth project. We have a very, very large deposit in Angola, which we is right next door to a railway line that's feeding into a port. We'll be sending a very, very high value product to a brand new plant in the UK in the Sultan Chemicals Park and it's looking to produce four and a half thousand tons of rare earth magnet metals at a time when there's huge demand for those from electric vehicles and offshore wind. Very nice to be here, Matt. Good to see you. Been a while. Long while. Why nice, is it? To see, nice to get you out of your bedroom and actually into the city. I, I know, and I put trousers on and everything. So <laughs> lovely, lovely image, right? Look, it's, it's, it's good to catch up, but um, we haven't seen you for a long time for a reason. You've been busy. Didn't feel you had much to say. Now you do. What's the yes, news? I think that's right. I think what you didn't want to hear from us was continual updates on how the study work was going. So we've now just put out the announcements of the feed. So we've now, I think we've got 70 or 80 equipment packages all, all finalised. And the teams are going a great job because they actually managed to reduce the capital cost from just over $500 million to just under $500 million. So we've now got that locked in. And we're now in financing stage, which you and I talked about all those years ago, and close to being able to start construction. But th th some things have changed, right? So the sort of looking east towards China, that's no longer on the table because the, because the I guess the, the well the geopolitics has definitely changed of late. But the the, the market opportunities have changed for you because there's realization that perhaps you can capture more of the downstream value. Yes, that's the big step change. So when we got hold of the deposit, we drilled it out and found out it was a very large carbonatite. It's um, this uh, neodymium, praseodymium material. And you can sell it in basically three different forms. You can produce a concentrate on the mine and then ship that off to China. And you get a sort of low value for that, sort of maybe 5,000 bucks a ton or something for it. Or we thought, well, rather than do that and have very limited margin, go to the next stage and you produce a mixture of carbonate or a mixture of sulfate and you can get maybe 10,000 bucks a ton for it. But it was interesting, when we looked at the economics, we found that the real value of lift was in the separation. And the separation was all being done in China. So we asked ourselves the question, why can't we do the separation? So we undertook a, a study and had a look at uh, chemical parks in Europe. And we looked in uh, Saxony, Merseyside, Teesside and, uh, and Humber. We found this chemical park in uh, Sultane Chemical Parks, the ex-BP Chemicals um, Chemicals Park. And Humber. Humber, Humber yes. and all that. And it was coincidentally when we arrived there, we found that it was owned by a private equity group. And they said, this is great. You can put your, your, your um, separation facility on our park and we'll provide you all the services. So it was basically a plug and play or yeah. a we work for chemicals parks <laughs> without the free beer and the charismatic CEO. And what happened then was it became clear that there was something more to Salten than just a chemicals park. It was on the verge of becoming a free port. Right. So we joined up with the AB uh, Associated British Ports and uh, KPMG and others and worked with them. And I'm very pleased to say that uh, Humber, I think, was the, the first or certainly mm -hmm. one of the first eight of the free ports. And what that did, it gave us the possibility of treating Salt End as a processing hub for rare earths. So we've now got a separation facility. It's world class in size. It will produce four and a half thousand tons of neodymium, praseodymium oxide. It's about the same as Linus Corporation mm. and MP Materials. 
But here's the difference. We're in a free port, so we can bring material in from Longonjo, from our Angola mine, but also bring in material from other places in the yeah. world. So in this post-Brexit world, we're creating a high-value um, high manufacturing, if you like, um, within a within a capitals park, within a free port, within the UK. Right, and the UK governments are stepping up with a few few subsidies, and not not yet. We've not yet. I hope so. Oh, okay, right. I saw some big numbers. Yes, yes. I hope they do. Um, let, let's talk about that because you know going toe to toe against Linus have been doing this a while. An MP or Mountain Pass or, or, or of old, they learned the hard way, made a few mistakes a lot along the way, bit of a dent in the balance sheet. Uh, but obviously, they're, they're the two sort of standout companies in terms of the rare earths outside of China, ex-China. Okay, there's not too many other. There's lots of conversations, but no one actually doing it. You're saying we can out of the gate match those guys four and a half thousand. I mean, it's that's big, right? What, what, what's driving that confidence? So first of all, I think most junior rare earth companies are confident at the concentrate stage, mining and floating concentrate, even though. Floating a rare earth, com, uh, rare earth uh, concept is not easy, but most mm. companies can do that. The <coughs> next step to a mixed rare earth carbonate or a mixed rare earth sulfate is basically not that different to the mineral sands industry. So it's a sort of known, a known process, really, if you like. So it's not mm. too complicated. So the question you're asking is, how do we think we can separate? How do you think we can do this? At scale. At scale, at world-class scale. And there's two answers to that. One is separation is chemistry. So you need to be in a chemicals park. You need to have all the support and services. You need to have the whole infrastructure around that. And secondly, you need people, a team of people who know how to do it. And so that's why we recruited Rocky Smith, who's, a, who's our star. He's the ex-CEO of Mountain Pass. He actually um, built that plant and he's, uh, he's a very experienced chemical engineer. And he's bringing his skills and a team of people to bring those separation skills to it. So the reality is there hasn't been a rare earth separation facility built outside China for over 20 years. So there isn't a body of people who've got those skills. So we like to think we've got the right person in the right environment that is in a chemicals park to, to be able to match Linus and MP. Right. And what's he saying about the kind of ramp up to this? Because one, you've got to go and get the money now, right? So just say, just shy of 500 million now. You, you, you knocked a few quid off of, of the previous number. Um, you're going to get, well, first of all, let's, where, where's that money going to come from? Because it gets now a European story or a North American story, no longer China story. But there's some China so we're money like, still involved? So no, no China. All gone. It's all European. Um, basically, the simple answer is we've announced that we're working with ABG Sundown Kole, who's a major bond financier. Um, and I can tell you roughly we'll be looking at half bond finance. Mm -hmm. And then we've got a-, a Green bonds? They will be very green, extremely good, deep green, bright green. I thought they might um, be. There, and the rest of it is a combination of various forms of finance that will largely focus on Angola. So there are right. bilateral agencies, there are banks, there are all sorts of people who have the, the who will take on the Angola piece. Right. So, and the second thing is... So can I just check? So the Angolan Sovereign Wealth Fund's in there, but across Africa, there are... No, I haven't met... I haven't, in that summary, I've not included them. Um, okay. what, what I'm saying to you is we've, we went from an Australian junior when I spoke to you before. Mm. We've now begun the journey of institutionalizing the register. So we now have the Angolan Sovereign Wealth Fund owns 20% of the company. Mm. We have um, artisan partners from the US. It's mm. a $180 billion fund. And more recently, M&G. 
So in total, they're about 35% of the company. Over the next couple of months, we expect to build that up to closer to 70% right. institutionally held. So overall, the, the, we see the financing as half bond finance. Right. The other half will be a mix of individual financing components, which I won't go into, but relate to Angola, companies, bilateral agencies, banks, and other organizations have an interest in financing that. Right. And then whatever's left over will be the equity piece. And the equity piece will be from the existing shareholders within the company, those institutional shareholders. Okay. So, so not, not quite sure of the construct of that yet, but those will be the moving parts involved in the broadly, conversation. Broadly, broadly, the headline is half bond, and then the other half is that mix I've indicated to you. Right. Di- different components all adding up to the 500. Right. So there's, there's two bits that obviously, I'm sure there's a big audience here who won't have heard the story before. So we're just going to go back a little bit. So with the Angola piece, that obviously you've talked about previously about the infrastructure in terms of road, the hydro, the port, et cetera. That's all in place. You didn't have to finance that, but you can utilize that. So is the Angola piece uh, well, you've got, you've got to build something there, haven't you? We've got to build a con- mine concentrator, which and is a, how an much? circuit. How much is that? Broadly, t- t- just over two hundred, just around, t- just on the two hundred right. mark. Okay, and then we go to uh, Humber, to the yes. UK, and that is the well, the bulk of the balance. Well, it's the two hundred. It's another two hundred, and then you've right. got hundred spread between the two. For for what? Oh, for in uh, working capital, got all, it. all the previous. So that hard. Hard capital, hard capital, two hundred each, and there's a hundred spread across the two. Right. So those will be well. I assume you're going to break ground soon, but they will be built out at the same time, same delivery time. Yes. Okay. Which is what? Eighteen months. Okay. And then we've got to convert to the. May I give you a clue? What I was going to ask about which is the ramp up period because it is technical. It's very technical in the sense that you've said there's not many people with skills outside of China who have put this together. So you've got to put this thing together at scale. Um, it's going to be built in 18 months. And then you've kind of got a ramp up period of just trying to work out and refine and, and how you I get think it right. We, we haven't specified what the ramp up period would be, but I'm saying to you, we're talking 12 months, okay. maybe longer. To to get to nameplate capacity. To get to nameplate. Right. And then so the, the it's a big project. So... Payback is how long? Return on capital is how long? Less than two years. Okay, right. Okay. This is extremely profitable. I mean, it's uh, it's four and a half thousand tons per of just the NDPR. Just left aside all the other products that we're going to sell because mm. most of the values in the NDPR. But um, they the current price of that is well in excess of one hundred and fifty thousand mm. dollars a ton. And rising. So it's three times the revenue stream mm. from when I last spoke to you. Yeah, yeah. So it's extremely profitable. In fact, we probably only need to sell uh, of the four and a half thousand dollars a ton, four and a half thousand tons. We probably need to sell five hundred to a thousand tons in that first year, right, to cover all our costs. So, with the money that you're raising, do any of those groups need to see offtake agreements in place before they? Uh, you know, commitment is one thing, cash is another. So yeah, so so that's right. So in the announcement we made the other day, we talked about we've got fifty percent um, offtake and marketing agreement with a major trading house, and obviously the that's built into baked into that are the requirements for our bond financiers. Right. So so yes, they go hand in hand, and we've been working on that for quite some time. Right. And the balance you're happy to sell in, in, in the market, or will you be looking for contracts to? Um, take up the, bulk, the, the of of the fifth the non committed fifty yeah. percent. To be honest with you, we actually have quite a few people approaching us wanting to secure that. So yeah. 
between now and when we get into production, I don't think we'll be completely exposed to spot because there's so much interest in the in the yeah. uptake. So, yeah. so the answer is right now for the financing to answer your question, fifty <clears> percent <throat> overall marketing agreement, and within that, the offtake requirements for the bond the bond financing. And are you seeing more inbound from uh, you know whether it be um, you know magnet producers, uh, even the automotives themselves directly, because everyone's trying to nail down supply chain. Because all we're hearing is supply, demand, deficit. You name the commodity, that's the conversation we're having. So two years ago, I was talking about um, this obsession that some uh, automotive manufacturers have got with all the different varying raw material content for their batteries. You know, mm. talking about NMC 811. Or yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're focused, the purchasing managers are focused on where they're going to get the manganese, the nickel, and the cobalt from, and the lithium. But I was making the point was all a battery does is produce electricity. What makes a car go is mm. the copper and the mm. um, permanent magnets in the axial motor. So now, now it's suddenly changed. Now we have the purchasing managers of a range of uh, major automotive manufacturers approaching us to do exactly what you just said, mm. to secure their supply chain. We also are being approached by um, magnet manufacturers and people who are looking to establish non-Chinese magnet mm. production because of the moment China makes 90% yeah. of the world's magnets. Oh. And just on that, just to understand, and this has been in our presentation for nearly two years now, yeah. we're making the point, China's spending 11 trillion US dollars yeah. on decarbonizing its own economy, yeah. its 2060 carbon zero plan. Mm. They make the point as part of that, they will not have, they don't feel any obligation to supply magnets to the rest of the world. The world yeah. So there's a clear message. There aren't going to be any magnets available from China. So it doesn't surprise me that the original equipment manufacturers are now reaching upstream in the railroad sector and saying, hey, can you help us secure our yeah. supply chain? It's interesting. I only found it last week. Bangers are made under license. Who knew? I didn't. Okay. Um, right, okay. So can we talk about a little bit about the macro in, in case of what... We, you're going to be based in the UK. We're sort of in Europe. They'll still talk to us, I'm sure. Where that would be the obvious place for your product to go. But the US is feeling slightly nervous, especially recently with recent geopolitical uh, events, which I won't go into, where they're trying to nail down their friends, friends of the US. Are you finding some, or do you think you'll be able to take advantage of some kind of competitive tension there? Do you care where you sell it? I mean, how do you play it? So number one, we really do care where we sell it because we're trying to create the world's first independent and sustainable supply chain. And that means, independent means, independent of China, frankly. Right. And so to do that, we need all parts of our supply chain, including our offtake, to be non-Chinese. Mm. And so we are having those conversations with those parts of the world that make magnets that are non-Chinese, which aren't very many. Mm. Um, but there is a clear push by both European, US, and Japanese uh, magnet manufacturers to create capacity ex-China in Europe and North America, and obviously we're talking to them. Mm. And then the sort of the final one is is the competitive tension. The tension is going to become between the purchasers of our product. They're coming to us and saying, "Can you supply?" So we're the automotive manufacturers are asking the question. When are you going to be production? How much you can produce? How much can you provide us? It's, a, it's an interesting position to be in. I, I, look, I think we're in halcyon days for the metals market broadly, certainly battery and automotive related commodities. Um, but prices are moving at extraordinary rates. We saw what happened with LME on nickel last week. Extraordinary situation. Copper price going through the roof. Lithium has done been on a run. 
all the commodities have been on a run at the moment, right? So do you feel that the non-committed, either the non-trader um, contract, is best left in the open because you, you sense that there's going to be a shortage? Or are you happy to get it committed now and you know where you stand? <laughs> so it's such a good question because right now, for to give our financiers what they want, we need commitment. Mm. But I sit in front. I sat in front of a fund manager two days ago, and he's the, the fund manager was saying, "We don't believe we. This is just the beginning in the commodities prices. Mm-hmm. They, they believe that that, and it's a specialist resources fund. It's actually a private equity fund. These right. guys look at this stuff." And they're saying the market hasn't worked out, meaning the OEM market for the for the mm. for the uh, purchasers worked out just how short the world's going to be for these products. So mm. you and I think cyclical, think yes, mm. the nickel, the, not the nickel, the lithium price. You might say that's going to come off because it's going to be oversupply, maybe. But certainly in rare earths, tell yeah. me how many rare earths mines are going to be built. Producers of our scale are going to come on stream in the next decade. Not very many. What's the production bit that I think that's missing in all of this? Exactly. Lots so, so, so I think I think what we've got to adjust to in answer to the question is how much spot do we leave? Probably more than we would normally think because there's still, still a lot of price upside. Right. Okay. So, what do you say to shareholders right now? It's kind of we're in that kind of um, point in the the old Lassonde curve. We're putting it together. When the money's in place, it gets really exciting. Is that is that the message? No, not really, because the the people that we we the people we're targeting are the people who see the thematic what we've just talked about. Yeah, and they see it as business. So the kind of shareholders we're bringing on now want more of the company. Mm. So as you know, there's a lot of okay, mid tier funds who will buy your stock because it's low, and then when they made the return, mm. they disappear. We actually have funds who want to give us more money, who want to buy more of the business because they bought into the thematic. And they look around and they go, apart from MP materials, you guys are the only ones building right now and we can see the demand side. So therefore, it's a shortage. Therefore, we want more of you. Mm. So we don't have to convince them of that. What we have to convince them of is getting going, you know, actually mm. building it, getting making it happen. What's the register look like in terms of institutional versus, well, family officer? How do you split it up retail? Um, we've done a... Of the 35% I've just named them, there's another 10% is people such as myself, and you know, I put quite a lot of money into the company buying, buying shares, and other directors. Um, and then there is what we call groups of discretionary investors. I just got off a call this morning from a, a club of investors who are great, they're fantastic, and they have this, this, uh, this hit list of questions that have been following the story. Mm. And so they're, what I would say, so committed investors or engaged, and then I would say, I'm guessing now, probably 30% retail. Okay. I, okay, still there. Still there. That, as you know, we have to ultimately generate the buying to, because they'll sell. Yeah. We have to generate the buying to take them out. So we've done a really good job. So when I took over the company in um, 2018, it was all retail, mm. all retail. We're now gradually institutionalizing the register. And we've just announced the appointment of uh, Virginia Skrosky from... Uh, the UK and the US and Virginia and I are going to work together on continuing that institutionalizing of the register that answers your question directly is we want people in the company who want to own more of the company. Okay. So we haven't seen you for a while. When are we going to see you next? What are you going to be talking about? Um, you'll be coming to Salt End when we commence construction in a few months' time, or hopefully a few weeks' time. Mm. And we'll have a breaking ground ceremony. We'll have um, a shiny shovel for you. 
For a sword. Or giant scissors. <laughs> giant scissors, yeah. Well, whatever, whatever your implement of choice is, you can be on the ground when we, when we, uh, That's when very, we very kind of you. Lovely to see you. Lovely well to see done. You. Uh, great story. Thank you very much. Nice to see you.